I'm Manda, and together we're Black Compat. We're a growing community focused on diversity, inclusion, representation, conversation, and fun on Twitch. Want to be fam? For chill community vibes, Wednesday nights at 7, join BC Row for the Wednesday wind down. Friday nights, join us for Let's Plays where we explore narrative and single player campaign games. Stop by on Fridays at 7. Catch our flagship podcast, The Tribunal, live every other Sunday at 3 p.m., where we talk about issues that are important to us as Black women. Issues like representation, inclusion, diversity, and more within the video games and entertainment industries. Check our channel and social handles to find out when a new tribunal is going to drop. We've got even more content on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter handles, and our website, blackandpat.com. So join in the conversation in whatever way you like at Black and Pat. Remember, always and never or. All times are Eastern. Hello, bastards and wenches, and welcome to the PAX East 2023 one-on-one special. I am your King Baby Duck, Evan Borgo. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. It is the day after PAX East as of this recording, and I am very much in recovery mode. I wrote 21 preview articles on site at the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center, and by the time you hear this podcast, they'll probably be all live, or they may not, as I am now in the midst of preparing for Anime Boston with my pals Elite Four Derek and 42 Believer. So there might be a couple that'll come up after I am finished with uh, Anime Boston. Anyways, today we have 14 interviews to showcase that were recorded at PAX East, ranging from indie darlings like Isbred Games and Dread XP to big boys like Riot Games. I should also mention that there is a chance that a couple of other devs I chatted with at the con may appear in a future interview show. So stay tuned to B3Crew.com to see when those moments might drop. Until then, let's blow some cartridges and press play. It's time for the PAX East 2023 one-on-one special. <laughs> from RetroWare who are showing off Toxic Crusaders, a big part of my childhood. <laughs> Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. You know, it's been such a long time coming that we're, you know, showing this finally, so I just can't wait for people to try it out and play it and, and, and sink into the 90s nostalgia. It's great. Yeah, because you just re- uh, revealed this like a couple of weeks ago. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It was a big, big wind-up. It was a big secret to hold because I was just like so excited that we were working on this and I knew people were going to have like some sort of reaction. I didn't know what it was going to be, but a lot of people are excited about it and happy about it, so that's that's good for us. So, so who came to who? Did you go to Troma, or did Troma come to you? From what I understand, uh, they started building a relationship before I got there, and so it's kind of been a long-running thing with between Retroware and Troma, and so they kind of gave us their blessing to kind of go ahead and work on this project, so it was really exciting to kind of be on board for that. So I know this is more based on the original—well, not an original, but on the cartoon spinoff yeah. back in the day in the '80s and '90s, where you could take R-rated movies and turn them into children's shows. Right. So, how much of the aspect of Toxic Crusaders and the original Toxic Avenger 
uh, was placed into this upcoming video game. Yeah, so so we, we took a look at the cartoon. There's only 13 episodes of it, so we kind of just like injected that into our blood and basically used that as the jumping point. And then finding all of these references to the trauma films, we wanted to make sure we had as much as many references to that as possible. So there's references to the first movie. There's little references from all over the trauma universe. You know, a poultry guys. Uh, you know, uh, class of Newcomb High, stuff mm. like that. So it's it's great. I, I know he's no longer with us, but can we expect maybe um, Principal Lemmy to show up? Oh, uh, who knows? Maybe. Uh, we're it's mostly it's mostly locations we're sticking with, but there are a few uh, named uh, members from the sh from you know various parts of the movies that will show up. You know. Now I know you mentioned the movies, the cartoon. What about the Broadway musical? I watched some of that the other day. I I, only, I didn't get the chance to watch the whole thing. Uh, it's it's a very loose adaptation of the movie, but I thought the opening number was hilarious, and I think that they did a really fun job with it. I want to watch the whole thing at some point. Me too, me too. So uh, for people who are new to Toxic Crusaders, like diving into this game, what can they expect from it? So they can uh, they can expect a classic beat 'em up experience. Uh, we have seven player, you know, seven playable characters. That's the goal too. Um, you know, they all have very different move sets, and every each of them will play. You'll definitely have your favorite, you know. Um, and, and it'll also be just an excuse to uh, jump back into the cartoon because this feels very much like a natural progression of a season one. So it's like very much a season two spiritual successor. Um, the writer, John Locke, did a fantastic job uh, making these characters feel like they never left the screen. So uh, that's what players will have to look forward to. That is fantastic. Now, I know that there is a new Toxic Avenger movie that's coming out later this year. Will there be maybe a little hint or a nod? in this upcoming video game? Yeah, so we don't have much to do with that at all, but we are really looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Um, but we're kind of just treating this as its own separate thing. It would be awesome if there was some overlap. Uh, I imagine kill him off in live action. That would be so cool, but that's not happening for this. But, <laughs> but I would love to see that someday. So maybe if the game does good, maybe we'll do that. Who knows? I don't yeah, know. yeah, that would be really... Right, right, right. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> that would be so cool. So I know that... In these last couple of years, we've seen a lot of retro games coming back. We've seen uh, Streets of Rage 4, yeah. Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. What is something that Toxic Crusaders is going to bring to the table that none of these other retro games has? Yeah, so, so each character is so unique. Um, that's something that's really exciting. Each character has a very unique uh, special attack. Um, and also, the, again, I, I'm going to mention the writing again. It's, it's very... Um, there's a story to it, right? So there's motion, there's motion cutscenes that's voice acting from Team Four Star. You know who did uh, Dragon Ball Z: Bridge? Yes. So, so it's a, it's a very funny ensemble crew. Um, so we, we took a lot of pride in making sure that the story held up and that the gameplay feels like it works really well with that, you know? All right. I know you can't reveal too much because you want people to be surprised when they play the game, but is there a part of this that you are most excited for people to experience? Uh, let's see. Uh, the boss fights, for sure. For hardcore trauma fans to feel like this is the biggest payoff ever, that's, that's the goal of the whole crew. Uh, everyone that's working on it is such a big fans of this movie, so, uh, the, of these movies in this universe. So um, it's really exciting to bring that to life in this form. So do you guys have a set release date yet, or is it still in the works? It's, uh, the goal is the end of year. That's the the fluid uh, you know release date right now. But uh, we would love to set it in stone as soon as possible. But if you sign up for the press list, we will let you know immediately. So. <laughs> I, guess, I guess my final question is: Why should my listeners experience what Toxic Crusaders has to offer? Because we love retro beat-em-ups. We love uh, wacky '90s nostalgia throwbacks, uh, and, and this is this is better than this is this is. If you're gonna get into any, this is a very good way to do it. So, 
Awesome. Zander, thank you so much for joining me here on B3 Crew. Uh, for more information, where can people find all the stuff they need for Toxic Crusaders? Uh, PlayToxicCrusaders.com has all the things you need right there. You can sign up to our mailing list and get all of the updates that we're going to be posting about it. And on RetroWare on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. I am so looking forward to seeing what you have to offer for Toxic Crusaders. Like I said, huge trauma fan. And I think what you guys have showcased here at PAX East... You made me very happy. Yeah, make sure you get a picture with Toxie before you head out of here. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm so excited about it. Thanks for talking to me today. Anytime. Awesome. Toxic Crusaders, Toxic Crusaders. I had no friends, no girls that hugged me till I got radioactive ugly. Toxic Crusaders, Toxic Crusaders. I live in the dump because the rim's real low. Got a little back robbing and he loves me so. Class is in session, and I am here at the Isbrid Games booth with Jenna from Necrosoft, who are showing off their upcoming video game, Demon School. Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind Demon School. Well, if you play the game, you'll see immediately that there's a lot of persona energy, although we're really more into uh, Shin Megami Tensei uh, here at Necrosoft Games. Um, so that's a big one. We, we love tactics games in general. We just kind of wanted to streamline them a little bit. Uh, outside of games, we're inspired by a lot of horror manga. So obviously Junji Ito, but also some of the older classics like The Drifting Classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, another one that I think you can see really evident. Absolutely. Uh, and aesthetically, and, and this is another one that if you see our promo art, you're like, oh, um, we love Italian horror, especially giallo horror. So your Dario Argentos, your Fulci's. Um, we really want that highly, highly saturated, really vibrant color as, as part of our aesthetic and in the music. Right, like Hammer Films. Like, exactly, yeah. So like for people who don't know, like when you watch a Hammer Film horror movie, like there's this sort of color aspect to it, especially <laughs> when it comes to the bright red blood, which yes. you see plenty of in Demon School. Yes, an almost uncanny amount of color, like an almost uncanny amount of intensity, yes. Absolutely. So tell me the story of Demon School. So what is going on? We, we've got some possessed people, we've got memory loss, demons, the whole like. So what's happening? So you follow Faye primarily. She's kind of the main character. She comes from a long line of demon hunters, but demons have been uh, basically extinct for her whole lifetime. So she came to this island because she heard there was going to be demons here, and boy, was she in luck, I guess. Um, so she's trying to figure out what is happening, why are there demons on this island, why are they trying to invade our space. It is a combination 2D, 3D game, and I think one of the really exceptional aspects of it is the fact that the demons exist in an otherworldly, three-dimensional space, whereas the humans only exist in 2D. So they're kind of invading, in a graphical sense, the 2D human world. Okay, so like for, for the demo that I just tried out, the majority of it, all of it was the 2D aspect of it. So what goes on with the 3D element? Mm -hmm. Only the strongest and most dangerous demons come in full 3D. So if you get to ch play the boss section of the demo, you'll see the boss is fully three-dimensionally rendered uh, and, and very scary and spooky. <laughs> very cool. So we have all these different elements. We've got the school, we've got the, the ferry, the cemetery. Um, the world of Demon School, like, tell me a little bit about maybe its inspiration, or maybe like what a lot of these, what a lot of players are going to be able to experience 
when visiting these different sorts of areas. So it takes place on an island, uh, and you'll find you'll pretty quickly <laughs> cut off from the rest of the world. Um, but there's all sorts of things to do on this island. So there's mini games. There's going to be a little arcade mini game. Obviously, there will be fishing. Can't have a game without fishing mini game these days. Uh, and it's going to be it's going to be a demon school fishing game. So you're going to find more than fish when you're when you're diving the depths there. Um, there is also going to be. Uh, gosh, there will be a relationship mechanic, so you're going to make a lot of friends on the uh, on the island. You've only met four of them, but there's a whole bunch more. Uh, and you'll be able to strike up friendships and romances with them if you like and uh, become closer to them. And, of course, you're going to have to attend class. Right. Now, with that aspect, with the, the lifestyle aspect of Demon School, will that affect not just relationships of the characters, but will it also affect how they are when it comes to the battles? Absolutely, yes. You're going to see that in the combat, that you're going to be able to combo with them a little bit more powerfully if, you're, if you've got that relationship to, to connect you. Cool. Let's dive deep into what makes these sorts of tactical battles a little bit more unique compared to, say, like the Final Fantasy Tactics <laughs> and the Shin Megami Tensei's. So the, the main design philosophy is that we wanted a tactics game that had fewer clicks. So instead of having to like scroll through a bunch of menus to find your your battle or your defense or your item menu that sort of thing each character will attack or do whatever their special is immediately upon coming in contact with an enemy so Faye, who's our, our our pushback knockback character you just send her into an enemy and she's gonna punch the heck out of it um, other characters like Newt is our healer so if you uh, direct Newt to come into contact with a player character he's gonna heal them or buff them so it's really more about um, positioning and getting characters to line up to do combos or to get them out of the way of enemy attacks. Really cool. So I experienced the what? Like, not, not like the first 10-15 minutes, but rather a big aspect of the game where you get to know the characters. You, you kind of get a really good idea of who, who our hero is like and how many times she just wants to just threaten everybody and punch them. <laughs> it's really... I, I'm really liking what I'm seeing so far. I do have to ask, though, yeah. like the... Um, the soundtrack to the game. I, abs I, I absolutely love how it sounds. Can you tell me a little bit about who that is that helped create it? Yes. So uh, our music is done by Kurt Feldman, and he does most of the instrumentation live. So he has actual guitars and drums and pianos, and he's doing most of that instrumentation live. And then he's importing um, synths and doing kind of a synth overlay to give it that really, that really crunchy giallo, like synthetic, like goblin-esque horror vibe mm. to it. Um, and I think it just is so satisfying to listen to. Absolutely. Like as soon as like <laughs> the song just first hits, it's like, ooh, yeah. I'm being dragged into this world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for our listeners, I, I know you're very deep into development right now with Demon School. Yeah. Um, and you are, and as I can see right here, it says it's coming to most platforms sometime next. Oh, that's oh. a question. Is this for 2023 or has this been for 2024? That is such a good catch. I didn't even notice that. Um, it will be coming out in 2023. We're looking at an end of year release, so keep your eye on it then. All right, so for my final question, for those who are still uh, unsure about Demon School, why should they enroll? Ooh, Demon School is exceptionally stylistic. It's very spooky without being outright scary. And it, if you are a big fan of tactics games, there's going to be a lot here for you to get into. If you've never played a tactics game, this is a great first step into that world. 
Jenna, thank you so much for joining me here on B3Crew.com. For more information, I see right here, go to DemonSchool.com to check out more about the game. Um, you can wishlist it on Steam. And hopefully, knock on wood, will there be a demo sometime soon? Coming in May. Awesome. <laughs> Jenna, thank you once again. Best of luck with the rest of Paxis. And I can't wait to see what more Demon School has to offer. <laughs> thank you. Have a good Paxis yourself. Red XP booth. I just tried out the game Amanda the Adventurer, and I'm here with the project lead James, who not only does that, but he also voices the adorable-looking Wooly the Sheep in the game. Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good today. Do you want me to do a Wooly voice? Yeah, sure. Do that. I'm doing pretty great. I mean, Amanda's not here, but you know, just don't tell her I'm here, okay? She doesn't really like it when I do things outside of uh, the the show. Anyway, it's good to be here. <laughs> so tell me about the inspiration behind Amanda the Adventurer. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, this game originally was born out of uh, a week-long game jam hosted by DreadXP. Uh, and the idea that we all really gravitated towards was a haunted children's uh, educational uh, program. So I have a bit of an art background. I wanted to do cartoons back when I was a kid, so I've watched cartoons since I was like a little child. And um, I used to grow up on shows like this, like... Veggie Tales, Dora the Explorer, Maggie and the Ferocious Beast, and you know, it's we kind of wanted to sh make a game that explores nostalgia as uh, as an emotion because it's you know a lot of people either think it's positive, it's negative, but I think it's kind of both. Uh, where it's like you know you revisit things from your past and it's not nearly as colorful and as innocent as you think it is. And Amanda the Adventurer is like the perfect re reflection of that, I think. I do agree with you about revisiting your past and finding things not being as colorful as you once remember. Like, if you've ever sat down and watched, like, the old episodes of, like, Land of the Lost and H&R Puff and stuff, you're like, this was some weird shit back then. Yeah, they definitely got away with some uh, crazy stuff back then that I don't think you could really uh, get away with. Um, another core inspiration for us was uh, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Mm, um, yes. That sort of idea of, like, this kind of sinister agenda uh, mask behind a facade of like a colorful children's cartoon. Uh, so we really wanted to explore that. Uh, we also thought the interaction of directly uh, engaging with uh, FMV animation and you know different types of medium and having it respond to you was really interesting. It was really compelling, and players love it. Uh, so we really wanted to make a game around that, and uh, you know. Basically, have you sit down for like uh, you know a children's cartoon and have the cartoon like look back at you and say, "Hey, wait a minute, that's not what you're supposed to say." And we get a lot of really good re reactions from that. It's like, "Oh, whoa, whoa, what, what's going on?" So, <laughs> yeah. So, like uh, for example, like the back to back and forth between Amanda and Wooly, like it's obvious that Amanda is doing a lot of stuff here that technically she not she she should not be doing without parental supervision. But then she makes the point of, "I don't know where my parents are at." Is that going to be revealed as the story goes on? I don't want to show my whole hands uh, here, uh, but we do have a pretty uh, deep and disturbing lore, uh, courtesy of one uh, uh, Melissa La Martina. We uh, we hired her to help with the narrative of this game because we had an idea, but we, it was not really fleshed out. But 
she uh, worked with us. She came back with a literal Bible of content for us to put in this game. Uh, so I think players are really going to like what they dig their uh, sink their teeth into. But again, my lips are sealed. Uh, I can't I can't really indulge in that. I don't think I think that would be kind of missing the point, right? No, 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 absolutely. I mean, I know I know the company's called Dread XP, so you should kind of expect something dreadful while you're playing this game. But you still want to surprise people. Absolutely, and. That's uh, that's sort of the core uh, thing that we want to encourage in this game. It's like we want to keep players guessing. We want to keep players like uh, looking into every aspect of the game. Um, because when we released our jam version, we had you know many YouTubers like replay the game over and over and over again to see if they had different endings and different outcomes. And because the game was made in a week, we really didn't think about that. Um, so we really wanted to expand on that and really push it to its limit with this game. So um, if you're playing the uh, full release of The Man of the Adventurer, my recommendation to you, check everything. If you have a weird idea to put in the text prompt, put it in there. Who knows? We probably thought of that, and you'll probably get a different response. <laughs> Perhaps I should probably try, like, you know, choosing different kinds of flavors of pies or things that shouldn't be in pies, perhaps. I got. I, I can give you a bit of a hint. Um, so when Amanda asks you for your favorite flavor, uh, try putting in something in there that might upset Wooly, if you said that. Oh. I will leave it at that. You can, t- you can take that as whatever you like. I think, I think I know where you're going. I, I think I know where you're going with that. I noticed, too, while walking around in this level, so there's something that's locked, there's the strange little children's piano, there's the clock. I, I take it that these all link towards something that's going to happen once you figure out those puzzles, correct? So the fir- when we first came out with the jam version of the game, the game was just watching the tapes. Um, I like to joke and say it was a visual novel with extra steps. Uh, but this game is much more different. It's We still have the core of watching the tapes in it, but now we added this element of like a puzzle like escape room. Uh, so everything you see in the attic is going to be utilized in some way uh, as a puzzle element. Uh, we don't want to, again, I don't want to delve too much into it, but... Um, there's a lot of content in there, and um, you know the puzzles themselves are informed by the tapes that you watch. So it's a pretty decent game loop where you're watching these tapes. You might find some cryptic messages here and there, and then you go and you turn around and you're like, "Oh, wait, this. I think I remember seeing this." And so it's a pretty decent gameplay loop that we think is going to really resonate with fans and uh, you know attract their innate curiosity that we've 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 observed while they've been playing the game. Right, right. Now I do have to ask because with. A man of the adventurer being inspired by like children's cartoons and that sorts of things. You're bumping elbows here at Dread XP with another game called My Friendly Neighborhood, which is kind of similar premise of sorts. Could we maybe expect like a crossover between both worlds in some way, shape, or form? I mean, you definitely have a great point there that we're kind of in the same ballpark. Um, you know, I, I joke where it's just like, you know, it's kind of like the Nick Jr. crew over here where we have, you know, a, a haunted uh, children's cartoon and the set of a, a, you know, a children's program where you get to explore. So it's like we're kind of in the same ballpark. So, you know what? Could happen. Could, could be down the line. Who knows? Yeah, if I'm thinking of Nick Jr., I mean, of course, Dora the Explorer, maybe Yerlika's Castle or Gula Gula Island for the My Friendly Neighborhood. You, yeah, we could pro- you could probably turn up something pretty twisted with if you were to combine your forces. Absolutely. And, you know, um, we've been really thankful to be part of Dread XP. You know, they were the ones that approached us and gave us this opportunity. Um, we originally made this game just for fun. We were just like, yeah, let's just put something spooky out there. And they saw something in it. They saw something in us. And they really wanted to really, uh, well, Jan's in particular, yeah. Keep focus, keep focus, dude. Do your <laughs> 
Yeah, Jan's, uh, Jan saw something in us. Uh, he's a marketing manager here at DragSP, and he was like, we need to have these guys, and you know, I'm so thankful that he uh, gave a shot on us, and you know, we want to make everybody proud and make something that's really creepy, really engaging, and something that's going to have people talking for a while. So I guess my final question is, when the time comes, why should players experience what Amanda the Adventurer has to offer? If you're looking for something that uh, piques your nostalgic curiosity, if you're one of those people that grew up watching educational cartoons and you have fond memories of it, so, you know, most kids, you know, uh, at some point, uh, I would recommend checking out Amanda the Adventurer. Um, you know, one of my favorite comments that I get, and I, sometimes it's kind of taken as like a, a, a jab is, oh, this is a kid's core uh, game, right? Because we have a very young demographic, but um, I think it's pretty cool. Like, I grew up reading and watching Goosebumps, and now I'm here. Uh, so if that's uh, some kid's like goosebumps moment, then you know I have nothing but like that, that's awesome. That's that's sick. You know, like horror is a really cool genre. Um, there's a lot you can do with it, and you know I'm really excited for the future. And you know, yeah. Yeah, like, this sounds awesome. I can't wait to experience more of Amanda the Adventurer. Thank you so much for joining me here on B3 Crew. Where can more people find information on Amanda the Adventurer? Well, of course, you know, we can find us on uh, Steam page. We, uh, we have a Steam page if you want to give us a wish list. That helps us a, a lot. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at, um, at Amanda Adventurer. Um, you can find the devs uh, on Twitter, myself, at JP, J Pratt underscore design. I'm, I'm on Twitter. I post a lot. Um, all the other devs are on uh, Twitter as well. Let me just get there. Uh, I, don't think I, I don't think I can uh, have time to, like, drop them, but we have... Uh, if you follow me, you can be able to follow them too. I'll, I'll, I'll drop a I'll drop a link so that everybody can find them. But yeah, DreadXP Twitter, my Twitter, Amanda's Twitter, um, and of course the Steam page. Give us a wish list. You know, follow us. I think you're going to be uh, shocked to see uh, how soon we are ready to get the game out there. And I'm really excited for people to see what's what we have in store. And I honestly can't wait. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see what's going to happen with Amanda the Adventure. And I can't wait to see what else is going to be bumping around in this game. Like like I said, there was quite a big surprise at the end of this demo. So, yeah, I'm both looking forward to it. And at the same time, maybe not so much. I mean, that's the kind of response that we'd like to hear where people are like, oh, this is horrifying because... I think a lot of people see it and they're like, oh, it can't be that scary, right? And then you get people who, like, walk up, they're so, you know, you're cocky, they're like, oh, yeah, I can take this. And then, you know, there's the same people that when that hand bursts through that attic door, they jump, yeah. you know? And don't think I don't see it. I see it. I'm here on the floor. I can see it. <laughs> Thank you once again. All right. Thanks so much for your time. If you're into fun and you love to play, if you like funny jokes, then put you away. If you like to dance to a slamming sound and you like having lots of friends around, and if you're one of those kids who lives by the rule that sad is bad and happy is cool, oh, little buddy, you're about to see you're in the very best place that you could be. Hey, it's Lamb Chops, play along. It's gone to play along. I'm here with Maxine and Elias, who are showing off their title, Straight Lights. Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you two doing today? Really cool, really nice, thank yeah, you. Very happy to be here at Tax. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you came up with the idea for Straight Lights. We wanted to make a game uh, in which you can fight gigantic beasts, and um, the best way to, to do it, uh, in our opinion, is that uh, when you parry their big attacks, and then you can uh, turn back their energy against them to calm them and uh, soothe them instead of killing them. Um, that's the, the the main idea that we had when creating this game, and uh, so that's what we did in Straylight. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that was the the aspect of the action combat, uh, combined with some uh, oniric uh, uh, dimension, 
um, talking about dreams and so on. So yeah, that was the main goal. Now tell me a little bit about the story behind Straight Lights. So like, who is this character that you're playing as? Uh, I will not say too much about the stories to let the players discover this by themselves. But uh, you can know that you will witness its birth uh, yeah. and his quest to towards awakening. So you have baby, child, adult, and uh, yeah, your fights. Uh, you will be evolving um, uh, throughout the, the, game, the game, actually. And seeking transcendence uh, yeah. by yeah. Uh, soothing other, others. Yeah. I noticed that when you start out of the game, you start out as like a little creature, but as the game progresses, you become bigger and bigger and bigger. Do you reach a point where you will be kind of like equal size to maybe like the biggest behemoth that you showcase that's in this game? Uh, actually, uh, I don't know if you have to, if you are allowed to do to, to speak it out without spoiling, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yes, we can. We can uh, do it without spoiling. Uh, the beast that you are fighting are actually deformed by uh, two strong emotions that they can control. So uh, it's it's what happens when you don't manage to uh, control these emotions. And uh, so your character, if he can manage this emotion uh, uh, in a good way, he will not be these creatures. But you will discover um, some twists about characters that will follow you through the game. So, the ability to control your emotions, sometimes you'll be able to, other times you won't be to. Will that mean that there are going to be times when you're playing your character and you may not have complete control over him? Uh, actually, uh, you will see uh, throughout the game, but you, you might be tempted, actually, you might be tempted to, to fall for this emotion, actually. Uh, but it will be up to you, uh, and the, yeah, the adventure will, will tell that. Ah, so there may be some consequences to the actions that you partake in Straight Lights. There's no different path in the story. You, you still uh, do the same storyline, but uh, your character in the levels you will go through uh, will be tempted to um, um, to go with the bosses and uh, comply with their behavior. Yeah, exactly. But in the end, you have to find them and soothe them and, uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So I noticed the different colors. So you have like the the red or rather the orange. orange and blue. You have the blue, but then I noticed the enemies will sometimes turn purple, which I guess will mean run. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the it's like the corrupted energy, if I say so. So it's uh, the energy that you don't take because you are not corrupted. Uh, and the normal colors are blue and orange. And when you reach balance, you are some goldish, like you are uh, when you are a baby. Yeah, shiny. Yeah. And uh, pure shiny. Yeah. Yeah. And some abilities uh, allows you to reach this balance too in combat. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Cool. So like. How does your character, I know you can't spoil too much, but like, what sort of abilities and what kind of evolutions does your character go through throughout Stray Lights? Uh, so basically, yeah, you, you start as a child, you, you go uh, um, to, to adulthood, and in terms of gameplay, you will have like several abilities you, you may have to choose uh, between. Yeah. Uh, and, th and that's pretty much the, yeah, the... The, the, the way you, you will be evolving, actually. Yeah. So you can uh, tailor your gameplay uh, as you want, as, as your playstyle, actually. You have some more defensive abilities and some more offensive abilities, so you can actually play yeah. like you want to play. Yeah. 
Very cool. So I noticed that the game is coming out on April 25th. Yes. So for those who have yet to experience straight lights or don't have the ability to come here to PAX to check it out for themselves, uh, what would you say would be the best way to like entice my listeners to experience straight lights for themselves? Uh, actually, there's a Steam demo available uh, now. So you can, you can actually test uh, the demo on Steam uh, for a limited time. And uh, it's another bus that the one you can uh, try on the booth as, at PAX. So yeah, you can play both of them if you can, or only the demo on Steam if you want. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So guys, thank you so much for joining here on B3 Crew. For more information uh, outside of Steam, where can they find information on Straight Lights? Uh, there's the website, straightlight.com, where you can find all the stores, all the links that you want for the social media, um, uh, the stores, you can buy the game for console, PC. Uh, yeah, you can find everything on straightlight.com. Thank you guys so much. Best of luck with the rest of PAX East. And um, best of luck also on the launch of the game next month. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Just out of frame With the passenger's name Though you freak go behind It was always a battle to arrive At the station alive With all the bags to unpack All the plans for the future to protect Because we've come to expect The trains on time The cloud is Back in 2020, I was first introduced to the world of Turnip Boy with the game Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. Well, now he's finished with the tax evasion and now he's really interested in Robin Banks with his upcoming video game Turnip Boy Robs a Bank. And I'm joined with Jan from Snoozy Kazoo. Welcome to B3Crew.com. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's been a busy day. A lot of great feedback, a lot of great gamers. We're having a great time. So I guess the first question is, who gave Turnip Boy a gun? Uh, it, was, it was the next logical thing to do. It's like you have this chaotic, crazy turnip, very cute. What do you do next? Give him a gun. You kind of have to do it. So, yeah, that's why we uh, went with that. <laughs> So, Turnip Boy commits tax evasion very much along the lines of Legend of Zelda. What would you compare Turnip Boy Robs a Bank to? I would say a lot of Enter the Gungeon, Nuclear Throne is where we got a lot of our uh, inspiration from. We're trying to make the story and uh, the humor the same from Turnip Boy commits tax evasion, but add a lot more action-packed uh, and just adventure to it. So. Now, I know you, you have the option to free the Mafia in... Turnip Boy commits tax evasion. So, in this story, how do these, um, how does, how does Turnip Boy uh, cross paths with the mafia again? So, uh, in Turnip Boy One, uh, Turnip Boy commits tax evasion. You do free the mafia, and that is the very same gang that you work with to rob the bank. So, uh, it's a lot of Turnip Boy exploring his mafia roots in this game. So, tell me a little bit about the evolution of the Turnip Boy world ever since we last saw him in commits tax evasion. So a lot of the commits tax evasion uh, alludes to a world before, very post-apocalyptic, and that's still the same with Turnip Boy robs a bank, but we're really trying to hone in on Turnip Boy's lore, a lot of his family lore, kind of going into like a mafia, Godfather, Ocean's Eleven type vibe, so uh, we're still going to allude to a time before uh, whatever happened to these vegetables, you know, but it's a lot about Turnip Boy in this one, and his past. 
you do allude to the past a little bit in tax evasion. Mm -hmm. um, is there going to be any opportunities in this game where you actually get to witness what the past is like? Not necessarily. A, a little bit. I can't give too much, but there is there is a lot of lore that still that shows a bit of what the bank was like before Veggies took it over. So we definitely, with environment and characters, there is a lot of that as well. So for the demo right now that you're showing off, it's basically Turnip Boy's first job at robbing a bank. Yes. Learning how to use the weapons, upgrading the technology and such. How much more elaborate do these missions get as the story goes on? Yeah, so there's a lot more guns that we're going to have in the game. Uh, you can also have permanent progression as well. If you saw Robo Raphael, he's going to do basically like a, a supplement store. Uh, so you'll be able to upgrade that way. Um, there'll be quests throughout. And just as you get deeper into the bank, there's just so much more lore to uncover. It's, it's going to be awesome. So my question here is because... That is like the bank of the world, the Turnip Boy. Are there going to be other banks for him to rob? Um, I think nothing to announce, but there is more crimes, hopefully, in Turnip Boy's future. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So, Snoozy Kazoo, you know, they've been, you guys have been around for the last few years. Mm -hmm. How would you feel Snoozy Kazoo has evolved as game developers since, you know, the first Turnip Boy game? Yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, uh, my boss, Yukon Wayne, Zach, and I, we started Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion while we were still in college. Um, we pitched to Graffiti Games, got a publisher, and it was just uh, four of us on a team at that point. Um, but now we've got seven. We're working on a couple of different projects. Uh, it's just been a wild ride. All right. So, with you guys showcasing Turnip Boy robs the bank at Paxi's. What's been the feedback from the people who have been experiencing this game for the first time? A lot of people have been really enjoying it. They love the humor. They say it's indicative to turn up like Miss Tax Evasion, which is really important to us. Like, we want it to be more action-packed, but we still want it to have that humor and that uh, silliness that's from Tax Evasion. Uh, yeah. Very cool. So... Do you guys have a set release date yet for Rob's a Bank? So, Turnip Boy Rob's a Bank will be releasing in 2023. We don't have a specific date, but it is this year. So Very cool. So, I guess my final question is, why should Turnip Boy Rob a Bank? And why should our listeners rob it with them? Because it's just, you get to be a little silly turnip doing war crimes or just all these different crimes, you know? How can you, how can you back away from that? Jan, thank you so much for joining me here on B3Crew.com. Uh, for more information, where can people find all the stuff about Snoozy Kazoo and Turnip Boy? Yeah, so all of our information is on SnoozyKazoo.com. That has all of our social medias. We have a Discord community. They're amazing. Uh, we do different competitions, do giveaways. So, yeah, that would be the best way to reach out to us. Jan, thank you once again. Best of luck with the rest of PAX East. And uh, good luck with all the banks that are going to be robbed by Turnip Boy. Thank you so much.
joined here with Summer, the project manager of the upcoming video game Felicity's Door. Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Very tired, but that's that's just the last day of PAX for you, isn't it? It is. It is. And how has the uh, feedback been from the people who have been trying out Felicity's Door? It's been pretty good. Very positive. A lot of comments that it's cute, which is the vibe we're going for, so that's very good, very encouraging. Um, we are getting some really good feedback on how to improve the game as well. Through our player survey as well, it's just through in-person interactions. Um, so there's still like half the day left, so looking forward to seeing what other people are going to bring to the table for us. So tell us a little bit about uh, Felicity's Door. Like, How did this idea first come to be? Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> so... Um, the producer, director, my boss, um, used to work um, a bit of music production on Demo, actually. Really? Yeah, another another rhythm game. And he, while working on it, he noticed some things that he would have liked to see in a rhythm game. You know, just some additional features, some slight changes. And by that time, he had already established Area 35, um, our indie dev company. And so he thought, why not just make it himself? And so we had already actually begun production of the game about seven years ago um, when it was first conceptualized and it had already been brought up to a publishing, like a release standard. And there was already a deal with the publisher, but there were some issues, um, not really sure what happened because it was before I joined the company, but eventually we were not able to publish the game at that time and it had to be put on hold. We had to buy it back. Um, and we had to put it on hold for about five years because we Jeez. just, yeah, we just didn't have the resources to continue making the game. Um, so about a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, finally um, we had enough developers and planners to split amongst our projects. We were able to open this project back up and work on it again, where we basically had to tear the whole thing down, rebuild it back up and bring it up to a more modern standard for, you know, a newer audience because it's seven years is a long time. Understandable, but in the end, I think it worked out great because the overall presentation of Felicity's Door is very beautiful, it's very cute, and I, I love them. I, I love the rhythm-based aspect. And what I like, too, is that it's not just one genre of music that you're playing at. There are a bountiful of genres that you are going to be able to try your hand on. Yeah, I mean, we really focused on... Um, just the composers themselves, not really any, we weren't really searching for any specific genre or anything like that. In fact, we kind of aim to broaden the horizons. So in the game, there's like some classical music, some operatic-esque music, but there's also some EDM, um, indie, indie pop as well. It's just a massive range. Um, our composer list is also really amazing. Like We have been able to work with so many amazing composers who have worked on some really great IPs. Some of them have worked on like games like Ridge Racer. I think for one of our DLCs, uh, the composer worked on Eco, uh, Full Metal Alchemist, Katamari Damacy, Ooh. you know, some of those nice little games from back then. Uh-huh. And yeah. anime too. And an anime, yes, as well. <laughs> um, but we've also got a few indie artists who are just chilling, doing their own thing on Spotify. Um, but we just really like their music and reach out to them and they decided to come work with us. Now, speaking of anime, you actually got a really great anime company, Kamikaze Doga, to help with bringing the story to life. So, how did that first come to be? 
I'm not actually sure exactly how it came about because it was during that original development process about seven years ago. So it was before Kamikaze Doga was, um, had worked on their bigger IPs in more recent years. And so I'm not exactly sure how it came about, but our, the director, producer does have a lot of ties in the industry, so I guess he just somehow found a way in. Well, it's really cool, and I, I love, I, I do love the cutscenes. They're very cute. They're very funny. Um, but I, I, I think the one thing I forgot to ask about is the story. So, what is the story of Felicity's Door? I can't really say too much about the story. It's, it's something that players will have to find out for themselves. Um, there is an overarching story as well as individual chapter-based stories, um, both in story mode and music mode. In story mode, obviously, you get the anime cutscenes. In music mode, it's more presented in a manga style um, that you unlock panels of as you play through. But, yeah, other than that, I can't say too much. All right. Yeah. Let's let our listeners find out for themselves. But I guess my final question then is, why should they open Felicity's door? Why should they open it indeed to unlock the mysteries that lie beyond? I don't know. Fair enough. Summer, thank you for joining me here on B3Crew.com. Um, where can our listeners find out more information on Felicity's Door? Oh, for Felicity's Door News, um, we have social media, um, as well as our website, felicitiesdoor.com. Um, or you can visit our, any of our Area 35 socials, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. We also have a Discord, um, which we are going to link to our website, Felicitystore.com, I mean, um, in the uh, right after parks. Very cool, Summer. Thank you once again for joining me here. Best of luck with the rest of PAX East, and I look forward to opening Felicity's door when the time comes. Thank you. Looking forward to hearing from you too. Bringing happiness to people around you can sometimes be tricky, especially when sometimes you're not feeling happy yourself. The upcoming video game Smile for Me showcases such a dilemma, and I'm joined by the creators of Smile for Me right now. Can you please introduce yourselves to my fellow listeners? Hi, I'm Hugo Limbo, one half of Limbo Lane. I'm Day Lane, the other half. Very nice to meet you both today. So tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind Smile for Me. Yeah, um, it all started when Day saw my uh, artwork online. We didn't know each other at all. Mm -hmm. um, and she just messaged me out of the blue, hey, I'm really interested in your art. Do you want to make a game? As simple as that. And I said, sure. <laughs> um, you know, because I had always wanted to make a game. And I said, this is a great opportunity. So from there... Uh, I guess you're the one that maybe came up with the concept of the idea for it? So both Hugo and I have different backgrounds. Um, I have a background in uh, digital and tabletop game development and alternative game mechanics. And Hugo has a background in art and animation, um, especially avant-garde animation. Um, so really it was both of our brainchild. Um, I wanted to make a uh, first-person point-and-click adventure game that used strange alternative control schemes like nodding and shaking your head in first person. 
and uh, Hugo wanted to make a uh, a you know bizarre multimedia collage game with things like puppetry, um, edited photographs, slipped right in with digital illustration. Um, and Hugo also has an interest in classic point-and-click adventure games, um, so we started jamming on ideas um, totally together. Very cool. You know, I myself grew up on the whole point-and-click adventure or, uh, generation, playing stuff like Mixed Up Mother Goose and Space Quest, King's Quest, and uh, Leisure Suit Larry, even though I really wasn't supposed to. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> So the concept of Smile For Me, like, can you tell us the story behind who you are playing and what's going on in this weird world that you are finding yourself residing in, the Habitat, I believe it's called. That's right, the Habitat. So you are playing as someone referred to as Flower Kid, mm -hmm. but Flower Kid is just whoever the player is. Mm -hmm. They just call you Kid as, like, you know, an affectionate term. Yeah. Um, but you're the stand-in for somebody who lives in a town nearby that ended up coming to the habitat for whatever... Like, they're a character meant mm -hmm. to project on. So they have come to this place. People recognize you from town. Um, yeah, it's a bunch of troubled people looking to bring their smile back. Mm -hmm. They have a variety of strange problems, like not being able to fish right. Or a lonely clown hung up on the breakup from his girlfriend. Mm. Yes, I think that's where I left off on my demo, was still trying to figure out what to do about this clown. Did you enjoy your demo so far? I was going to say that um, I hope with you growing up on King's Quest that this game is a little bit less frustrating than that, but <laughs> I guess you're the one who can tell us that. Yeah, yeah. I recall that there are some elements to King's Quest where if you don't make a decision, like, right then and there, it ruins your whole experience. Like, you get a game over. Like, I'm pretty sure you know that there... I believe it's King's Quest V where, like, there's a moment where, like, there's a mouse being chased by a cat. And if you don't save that mouse... It's like a split-second thing, then you're not going to win the game at all. <laughs> firmly, uh, firmly in the camp of anti-permadeath in a narrative adventure game, but um, you know, I guess they did it different back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess in that generation, like they just liked messing more <laughs> with the players and actually helping them. <laughs> so the nodding, the shaking the head, I like that aspect. It's you know it. It's like a really unique way of like communicating with with your you know the NPCs and the like. Um, I'm curious. Like I, I know you're you're releasing this for like PC and Nintendo Switch, I believe. Have you ever thought about like bringing it to like the VR world where you can actually like nod your head, shake your hand, and do that sort of stuff? Um, yeah, I I mean, so the restriction there is that we um, we personally don't have um, VR development experience. Um, we brought the game originally to PC in English only in 2019. Um, it's been available on PC for English-speaking players for a little while, um, and only more recently have we started working with Serenity Forge to bring it to Switch, to PlayStation 4 and 5, and to Xbox One and SX in, I think, nine languages? Um, that sounds right. Yeah, very cool. As well as updating it with those languages um, for PC, um, and all of that is releasing uh, April 24th. Um, we don't currently have plans for a uh, VR port, but who knows, something could always happen. Right. Now, you just mentioned that the original version came out in 2019. This is more of a boosted up like version of it. So going back to working on Smile for Me, were you able to like 
add more to the game than you originally had done beforehand? Yeah, we definitely wanted to, you know, update things, get clean up the UI, um, update the lighting, things like that. But we were also able to put some Easter eggs in for fans of the game. You know, little secret hidden art bits and whatnot. Pretty cool. It was, um, it was funny returning to this game because uh, I've become a much better programmer <laughs> since uh, 2018, 2019 when this game was developed. Um, and working in that code base again was a little bit of a nightmare. Um, we also never intended for the game to be localized originally, so there are things like puzzles where an understanding of an English pun is critical to completing them. Um, so when Serenity Forge first reached out to us, we, uh, we, we were like, oh man, localizing this game is going to be a hell of a challenge. But uh, the localization team did a really incredible job localizing some, pu some puzzles that I really thought um, would be impossible. Really cool. So um, with showing it off at PAX East, like, what's been like the reaction to the people who've been coming here to the Serenity Forge booth and experiencing Smile for Me for the first time. Uh, one part of the people are, you know, experiencing this for the first time, and they seem to be quite impressed with the nod and shake mechanics, the weird art style, and of course the puppets. But the other half are really sweet, enthusiastic fans that come just to see us and see the new update of the game. It's really, really cute and exciting. Yeah, um, a big part of the reason why uh, we've moved forward with um, taking, uh, splitting our time between the game that we're currently developing and coming back to bring this game to a much wider audience um, is the continued support of all the fans who've loved Smile for Me since it first came out in 2019. Um, and it's been nice to connect with those people at PAX, especially people who have played the game but have never played it by physically moving their Switch before um, and really are enjoying that new feature. That's fantastic. But now you've piqued my curiosity right now because you just mentioned that you are developing something new. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, we totally can. Uh, so, Great God Grove is a, another adventure game. It's a third-slash-first-person adventure game where your ability is to fill your inventory with speech bubbles pulled right out of the air from above people's heads. Ooh. You use that inventory, much like you would an adventure game inventory, to solve puzzles by taking words out of someone's mouth, literally, and then delivering them to someone that you think... Um, will be helpful for them to hear. Um, so it's a communicative puzzle game where you use this power of taking what person A says and giving it to person B to solve the disputes and squabbles of a weird pantheon of gods. I love that idea. It's so cool. Thank you. So I will look forward to that when the time comes, but with Smile for Me due to be out on the consoles next month, I would, like, I would like you to tell my listeners why they should experience Smile for Me for the first time. It'll put a grin right on your face. How can you say no to that? <laughs> or at the very least, it'll take a frown off it. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it may or may not turn it upside down, maybe sideways, but, like, there's nothing wrong with the sideways smile, right? Mm, very, very few playtesters have reported their frown being put at uncomfortable angles. <laughs> it could certainly happen, though. 
Yeah, it can. It absolutely can. But uh, thank you so much for joining me here on B3 Crew. I look forward to experiencing Smile for Me as a whole. And I look forward to seeing what Limbo Lane has in store next, especially the new game that you guys are working on right now. It sounds really cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, if you want to follow up with the release of Smile for Me on uh, consoles, any new languages, or if you want to see the new stuff that we're working on, we are at Limbo Lane Games on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. You can find our website at LimboLane.com. Very cool. Thank you once again. Best of luck with the rest of PAX East. And, yeah, I hope you keep on making people smile with what, what, you, what you both are coming up with. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. The disarming smile and the gamble there's a soldier on, soldier boy, soldier boy. There is rest for the wicked, just cold in the extremities, far from home, so far from home you can't remember. You dream other people's dreams Wake up in floods of where and what you are Propped up against beer cases that nobody wants But if you quit your only severance Will be this scar soldier Fiber up my breast I'm here with Samuel Wynn from Rage Cure Games Who are showing off their latest title Goons, Legends of Mayhem How are you doing today? Pretty good, you? I'm doing good So you're from Canada? Where hockey reigns supreme, so of course you would want to make a video game that combines hockey with something more magical. So tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind Goons, Legends and Mayhem. Yeah, so Goons, Legends and Mayhem is a fantasy hockey arcade game. So you have all the fun of hockey, but we fasten the pace with uh, characters with special powers, superpowers. They can throw fireball at each other. We have also a story mode coming with it, with uh, uh, cataclysm going and uh, wrecking the place. So, yeah. Now, where did you come up with this concept, the idea of combining uh, magic and hockey? So, the concept came from uh, wanting to have a, a hockey game on console that the whole family can play and that children can uh, have easily access to uh, with the style more in the, the lines of uh, Overcooked, Mario Party, going for a very uh, stylish, cartoonish style of game. So, yeah, that's the, that's the idea. So, what first drew me to this video game? So, I'm not sure if you're a big anime guy. Uh, so there's an anime called Outbreak Company, and there's a, literally an episode where there are magical characters playing soccer, and of course they're starting to use their powers, and complete chaos happens. So that's what drew me to Goon's Legends of Mayhem, because it reminded me so much of this really funny episode of an anime. Yeah, uh, I don't know about this anime, but I'm a big fan of anime. Uh, I think that the, the, a lot of inspiration comes from also Mario Strikers, which is a huge thing for soccer, but we wanted really to go with the hockey that doesn't have anything right now going for it uh, on console. Yeah. Right. So you told me a little bit about the story mode. So what happens in the narrative of Goons? So in the story mode, you'll meet uh, some of the characters, Brazier and Elmwing, then trying to discover what happened to Zambonia, the land of hockey which was struck by a cataclysm that turns everyone into a, a mascot craze of all key people. So yeah, you, you go on an adventure trying to figure out what happened. So, are you, so not only are you playing hockey games, but you're also probably going to be doing like what, boss battles as well? Yeah, uh, in the story mode you'll have a minigame reminiscent of uh, Mario uh, Tennis Ace. So each uh, stage will be accompanied by a boss, uh, a, a goalie if you like that will uh, show things that you challenge you with uh, aiming, aiming minigames and everything in the light. 
So you mentioned you have a lot of different characters that you can play as. So can you tell us a little bit about what makes each one of them unique? Yes. Yeah, so, so each character have uh, its own. Uh, its own moving ability and goon ability. So a goon ability is uh, one that will stop the puck, uh, stop layers, throw fire, throw a fireball, uh, pies that explode at, in the face of people. And the moving ability makes people jump, uh, slide, and uh, teleport through things. So yeah, that's the difference. And every character has its own unique twist on it. Do you have a personal favorite that you have helped uh, bring to life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My favorite is Blaze. Is a little kid that. As a toy gun that throws snowball and throws people in place. <laughs> ah, very cool, very cool. So, you know, I see there have been quite a few people coming in trying to experience the whole thing. How have um, the players who have come to PAX East, who have tried out your game, what has been like their reaction to it overall? Uh, the whole reaction, I mean, people screaming, really liking it, uh, screaming at each other because it's the fun of the game, beating your, your friends up, and yeah, that, that's it. Very cool. So... For my listeners who are still just trying to get familiar with the game Goons Led to the Mayhem, um, tell them what what makes it a game that they should absolutely try. Uh, it's really, the, I think, the funnest and the more fantasy-like hockey game you'll be. Even if you don't like hockey, I think it's a game that you can pick up for your kids, for you, for your friends, for your family, to have a beer, enjoy, enjoy the gameplay, and just have a fun time with it. Samuel, thank you so much for joining here on B3 Crew. Uh, for more information, where can our listeners find out more about Goons Legends of Mayhem? Uh, you can go on playgoons.com or go on our Facebook, Instagram, uh, and all the pages that, that list Goons. Thank you so much. Sam, best of luck with the rest of Paxies, and uh, good luck on the success of Goons Legends of Mayhem. Thank you. Have a great Pax, too. Story. I'm here with Zoe and PJ who are working on this game here. I can't do that for a little <laughs> Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you two doing today? How are you doing great? Yeah, doing great here. Feeling fresh and ready. Yep. So you just revealed Wrestle Story the other day. What's been the feedback so far from everybody? Uh, great. Um, everyone is uh, saying that it feels a lot like Paper Mario, which is one of our big uh, inspirations in terms of the uh, gameplay. So we're really happy to hear that our goal has kind of been met there. Yeah, it's been it's been really great to have people who love wrestling come through and say that it feels true to wrestling, and have people who love RPGs and have no interest in wrestling play the game and say that they you know felt like they got a lot out of it and that it was also true to RPGs. So that's kind of you know. The, the perfect sweet spot. We're, we're excited that, that people are liking it. So turn-based pro wrestling. So where did this idea first come from? Um, so Steve, who's the game director on this game, uh, he's wanted to make a wrestling game for a really long time. He grew up with wrestling. He loves it so much. And he's been talking about it at the studio for a while. And then PJ has been working on an RPG system on his free time. Yeah, I just um, have to kind of line up. I had kind of a uh, engine where everything could kind of line up into the gameplay style that we wanted for this. Uh, kind of the perfect storm there. Awesome. So, like, tell me a little bit about the inspiration. Like, 
I'm, I, I take it, you know, stuff from WWE, All Elite Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Did all of this, like, come into play when it came to not just creating the game itself, but even the story and the narrative? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the best part of wrestling is the characters and the story. So we wanted to make sure that that was kind of at the heart and soul of our game as well. So in our game, you're going to be traveling to the five territories, which are all inspired by real-world wrestling hubs. So we've got, you know, Paradise City, which is obviously a Florida-adjacent area. And we also have areas that are inspired by Tokyo, Mexico City, uh, San Antonio and New York as well. So there's there's a lot of diversity in our locations and our characters. We're you know excited to showcase that. I'm surprised you don't have a world based on Canada though. You know maybe we'll get some DLC. Who do, yeah. who, who can say? Time will tell. Keep an eye out. So the turn based aspect, you know, doing the attack, the special moves, like what have been some of like the big inspirations behind like some of these maneuvers that have been created. Uh, definitely a favorite Mario in terms of make sure that you're always engaged with the game so you're not like attacking and just watching the action unfold for you. You're an active participant in either trying to do a little more damage or defend from incoming damage. And um, Steve, being the wrestling fanatic that he is, he's made sure that like our combat completely adheres to like wrestling so you've got to like pin your opponent, you can't just uh, smack him out. And um, yeah. As the one who created this system, what has been like your personal favorite maneuver? That you've been that you have brought into Russell's story. Uh, probably the body slam, because uh, uh, we we have all sorts of characters. Like we have a very exaggerated art style, so you can have characters of all sorts of crazy different proportions, and it's uh, cool to uh, get like some of the more intricate like grabs and holds and everything, like working between characters that are completely different sizes and shapes. Yeah, so. I'm sure when I was like, hey PJ, we're gonna have characters who are. Uh, really short and characters who are really huge and they're going to have to pick each other up and slam them. He probably wanted to strangle me. So I've been really amazed at how he's been able to make that work. Very awesome. Now you, you've showcased some of the characters here. Besides the one that you create, is there a personal favorite character that has been on display in Russell's story? Ooh. I'd love to hear PJ's answer. I definitely have my answer. Um, he's not in the demo yet, but I'm excited to see Alan Gator get in there. Yeah. Um, he's kind of a shorter wrestler. He's got like kind of a alligator theme to him. Um, he comes from uh, Miami, I believe. So what? He comes from Miami, I believe. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, in yeah, the Paradise yeah. City area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, excited to pick him up and uh, start wrestling with him. Yeah. I think my favorite is Carlo. You'll see him in the demo. He's the glam rock uh, superstar. He's your, your tag team buddy and your best friend. And uh, he's, I would say, kind of the heart and soul of the game. He's, he's very silly. He's very um, flamboyant, but he's also sort of your biggest um, supporter. And so he's the hype man of the group. He keeps the crowd engaged. He keeps you hyped up. And uh, he's, yeah, he's the best. He's, he's a super cutie. I love him. He does remind me a lot of Dalton Castle from Ring of Honor. Oh, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with him. Oh, my God. I'll have to check him out. Dalton Castle, he calls his enemies silly gooses. Oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah, well, I like him now. I'm yeah. a fan. <laughs> it's my kind of energy. So, I know with, with pro wrestling, that, of course, a lot of people like to go one-on-one. Is there a plan to, like, maybe implement some sort of multiplayer aspect to Wrestle Story? Um, I mean, we're still looking for a publisher at the moment, so uh, it's entirely possible that kind of our plans can change there. At the moment, the demo is just single player, but um, yeah, definitely not restricted to that. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're playing around with lots of different ideas, lots of different types of matches, ladder matches, cage matches, you know. We have a lot of ideas, but like PJ said, 
a lot of that will come with once we get a publisher, we'll be able to hit the ground running and sort of expand on all the ideas that we have. Now I know you're showcasing fake rest, you know, creator wrestles for the game itself, but fake. is there a <laughs> I, wrong wrong word wrong wrong word? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there a real life pro wrestler you would love to add to the story of Wrestle Story? Oh, I mean. I would say if you look if you if you look past the the veneer of some of our characters, you might see that some of them are are inspired by real life wrestlers as well. We've got a you know we've got a character over here who's sort of studded out. You know you may see some Rhea Ripley inspiration there, a personal favorite of mine. But uh, you know you just have to keep your eyes open, and uh, you know maybe we'll see. Yeah. All right. So I guess my final question for you guys is, why will Wrestle Story be all elite? It's <laughs> a good question. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Like our our characters, our story, I think is gonna really engage people and make people laugh. And our combat will keep people engaged. Um, it's got a lot of depth, a lot of heart, a lot of humor, and um, yeah, we're just excited to get it in people's hands. Yep, no, that's absolutely true. Um, it's uh, one of the first. Uh, uh, you know, you get a wrestling game. It's usually like uh, kind of aiming to be a little more realistic and simul simulation-y. Um, this is like a really fun, colorful um, like RPG story that you can just like get lost in and learn some some uh, some, some wrestlers. <laughs> I'm very excited to see where Wrestle Story is going. This is a this has been a fantastic demo. Um, do we have a, I know you don't have a publisher, but do you have a set release date that you're eyeing on? No, we'll release it when it's good and ready, when, when, we're, when we're feeling like it's fun. The characters have been, you know, fully fleshed out. The combat is is deep, and um, and we're, you know, when we feel like it, it's it's good and good to go. So. All right, yeah. Zoe PJ, thank you so much for joining me here at B2 Crow. Uh, where can more people find information on Russell Story? Um, <laughs> let me just make sure I get the URL right. Uh, go to www.russellstory.com and also head to our Steam page and wishlist the game. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you once again, and I'm pretty sure that Russell story will be the cream of the crop. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> you know what's all about the I'm joined here with Gary, who is here at the Wire Productions booth. Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you doing today? I'm not doing bad. Thank you. Yourself? I am doing as okay as I can on my fourth and final day here at this convention. More, the throat's getting a little bit raw. The voice yeah. is a little bit more husky than it used to be. I, I feel that. Exactly. So you're here showcasing a lot of titles. Right now, I just recently tried out two games that are at the Wire Productions booth. Uh, the first is Gory, which is a pretty unique game starring a skateboard riding cat of sorts. Yeah, um, it's it's one of those games that is very easy to give the elevator pitch, but it also kind of feels like you misheard when someone tells you it, you know? Like, right, right. Someone says, explain gory, you're a cat on a hoverboard murdering unicorns. And people go, okay, that was, can you say that again? Can you run that by me? <laughs> can you run that by me one more time? Right. Um, but yeah, uh, gory is a little bit adult swim humor, a little bit 
uh, kind of jet set radio a little bit, um, sun, sunset overdrive, don't make cry kind of combat. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, you're just a, a, a really cute cat that has a an AI hoverboard that just really loves murder. And <laughs> thankfully, the players get to be the the, the vessel for that murder. Yeah. <laughs> now, I do notice in the beginning, because yeah. like with with the unicorn. There is like a unicorn that is not zombified until it does get zombified. Are there going to be opportunities for you to save any of the good unicorns? Uh, You know, that is an interesting question. Uh, The the, the top level run of the the, the super important law of Gory is that all of these toys were created um, and they were all meant to be super cute. They were all meant to basically just capitalism. Everyone owns them. Everyone wants them. Everyone's a billionaire. And then everything went wrong, and they kind of mutated and slaughtered every human that was left. So there's really not a lot of non, um, as they, they branded themselves, adorable army creations out there. Um, never say never. Never say never. If there is an opportunity to save a cute animal or two, then I'm sure the demons will let us. But as far as we've shown, every animal is basically there to be chopped up by Frank and Gory. <laughs> and I do love the gore factor. It's, it, it, it's wonderfully bloody, it's wonderfully hilarious and what I do like about it too is there, there's also that nice little combo aspect. Mm. Again, with the Jet Set Radio or Sunset Overdrive feeling. But with the cuter and adorable little fluffy little feline. Of course. And um, one of the um, not shown in this particular demo um, but one of the, the cool things is how each of the combat um, utilities also double up as traversal utilities as well. You know, Frank is your hoverboard, but he is also your weapon. And that comes across in the combat and the moves as well. So, in the second level, um, you will get a upgraded version of the, the launcher that allows you to use Frank's projectile. Well, that becomes something that you use in that environment to hit remote switches to open doors while you're grinding rails through them on times and stuff. So, everything gets a neat little kind of twist, a neat little gimmick, utilizing that combat to both murder things, but also move you forward in the game. Now, besides like the hoverboard aspect, mm. do you get more weapons as the game progresses? So, uh, once again, not revealing all the secrets just yet, but Frank is very much of a multi-tool as much as a hoverboard, so everything comes through Frank. Um, that may be explosives, that may be rockets, that may be straight up just letting his blades come out and, and, and go in, or turning into the giant kind of slamming hammer that there is in the demo, but... All of the upgrades that you get for Gory all use Frank as that vessel. But luckily he's quite versatile, so it should feel pretty different every time. Very cool. Now, do you have a set release date for Gory? So, at the moment, we haven't got a set set date. Um, We are definitely thinking this year. It'll likely be after the summer. Um, And, you know, we'll hopefully be able to confirm that very, very, very soon. Very cool. Now, the next game that I got to play was The Last Worker, which is a very unique first-person Package delivery? Amazon simulator? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's well, once again, I guess, similar to Gory, it's one of those where it's very easy to explain what it is, but um, it, it becomes very hard to understand why people might be excited about that <laughs> when, when it goes, oh, it's a game where you, you simulate being uh, an operative in a distribution center for, for, for uh, a company that may be related to a very rich one that we're not going to name because I don't want to get sued into oblivion. Um, but no, the, the, the core mechanics of the game uh, for The Last Worker, is, it's more the, the story itself is the star of the show. Um, when you look at the cast and the voice acting uh, talent that's been brought on hand, things like uh, Zeta Williams, things like um, you know, uh, Jason Isaacs so on and so forth coming in and lending both their, their acting expertise and their voices to it, it's 
a fantastic way to basically bring out a story that is kind of relevant, you know, like uh, not to get too doom and gloom. This is about video games because this is our escape. This is our, our little chill time away from, from reality. But, right. You know, you just need to look in any industry, even within games itself with the current AI trends and whatnot, to see kind of automation and robotics and, and kind of redundancies in the human space. How can things be done quicker and easier? How can things be done without needing to get a person involved? And, you know, in, in some cases it's good. There's obviously jobs out there that, you, you know, the old canary down the coal mine. Right. Having robots doing that is way better than humans. By God, yes. <laughs> yes. But, but at the same time, there's obviously the, the, the dual edge of that in that those people have to go somewhere and have to do something. And eventually there will be an end point where what, what do people do when there's nothing left for them to do? And then... In an ideal world, you'd like to think it was because everyone then gets to sit and relax and everything's taken care of them for, and then it's a glorious future, but the choice, the chance of that is, 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 isn't great. So mm. the last work, it kind of explores that, those kind of thematics as to work-life balance, um, kind of activism versus capitalism, whether some things are a necessary evil, you know? Like, like, is it too late to put a genie back in a bottle when it comes to that kind of thing? Once you've got a platform like the world's largest distribution center of products globally, yeah. um, which I will still refuse to name. Um, you know, is that, a is that a necessity now? I mean, hell, we sell our games on Amazon. We order things on Amazon for events. Like, right. But it would be weird to, to point at it and go evil at the same time as using it for its best. So, well, yeah. you know, the, the game kind of explores a lot of those themes through the shoes of Kurt, um, who is... As, as explained, he is the last worker. Everyone else has been replaced, and he's the, the only worker that's never made a mistake in his entire career. Right. Um, he's got his wonderful cobot pilot, uh, cobot companion even, called Skew, uh, voiced by Jason Isaacs, who is a little bit broken, or jailbroken, as they say in the game. Yeah. And uh, he basically comes along, and you get to basically experience their working relationship and Kurt's journey from the last diligent worker into someone that gets approached by someone that wants to kind of tear it all down and the kind of journey across that entire entire arc. And on top of that, there is seems to be the tragic, a tragic backstory because he makes a, content, a connection with someone. It is hinted that that the person, that the woman, might be a child, might be his child. Yeah. So, so, so the opening cutscene does kind of run through this, uh, you know, office-based relationship, I guess you'd call it, if your office was a warehouse where he'd obviously, you know, got involved with a co-worker, they, they got along and, you know, she stepped away from it because of, of the aforementioned pregnancy. Um, and Kurt does have a lot of baggage, you know, the, the entire game Kurt spends in his jungle pod, apart from the few moments where you do spend back in his, his hideout home area. Um, and, you know, it's covered in pictures of this, this relationship and then the people that he, he kind of knew back before things kind of started getting shut down and controlled a little bit heavier. So Kurt definitely has some baggage, but I think early on, especially in the, in the demo that, that we got present here, it becomes quite apparent that he just kind of locks all that up. He just locks that all away, and all he wants to do is focus on his job because that's that's what he's decided is what gives him validation in life, and anything else is kind of getting in the way of that. But my question is, does he, like, reach a breaking point of sorts? Well, that's... <laughs> The, the, the demo on hand kind of hints a little bit at the fact that Kurt is, is not entirely happy with the situation. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at his face right now. Yeah, he, right. he, he looks kind of miserable, as you would do. 
Um, you know, even the, the, the testing that is continually thrown at him, all of the KPI judgments, the speed tests, the error tests, are kind of breaking even what he is used to. And, you know, the, the line he even quotes early on is, is this is entirely unnecessary. Like, even he, before the entire kind of arc of Spear getting in touch with him and, and, and kind of forcing him to kind of choose where his allegiances lie, he's already kind of getting fed up before that. And even though he may not vocalize it or act on it, Internally, he's definitely kind of, you know, he's definitely feeling it. Yeah, and I feel like audience members and players will definitely, like, relate to Colonel yeah, Law in I this mean, game. You know, I myself spent a good seven, eight years working in, in warehousing, <laughs> you know, like, but when we said we were picking the last worker up, it's like, oh, what, what's this game about? It's, oh, it's a game where you work in a warehouse. So I was like, oh, God. Not again! I just got out of that, but, but no, I mean, it's... It's an interesting game because it's it's very hard to have a message without speaking blindly, and and I think that's one thing that the last worker does very well. Is on the face of it, um, you know, it is very much a, a scathing critique of the automation of industries and what people do with it. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it's not really saying outright this is bad, this is evil. It's just trying to raise the questions up to people like hey think about this yeah, the morality uh, like, of it all like, like it doesn't necessarily mean it's outright evil like like we say everything is relied upon this service great good is done in a lot of these services but there's there's two two edges to everything and you can't just sit and go i'm gonna ignore that this is a thing just because it's convenient you know and as long as those questions are being asked and as long as people are having those conversations then hopefully you can kind of steer away from this end-stage capitalistic hellscape that the game portrays. Now, how has the reaction been from players who have experienced The Last Worker? So the reaction's been really good. Um, obviously, the, the actual performances by the, the, the cast are, are, are stellar. The voice acting is great. Um, you know, we're very, very lucky that Wolfenwood and, and Jörg were able to, to work with such fantastic um, talent on the game and kind of that lends such weight to the story itself when you're hearing them do that um, but I think more than anything a lot of people were kind of surprised and I, I wasn't so much um, by just how much they enjoyed the busy work of the game itself you know obviously you have your main star story arc of you're running through you're doing your your kind of your your nefarious stealth things behind the scenes to investigate the company but you've still got to do your day job during the day, and that involves waking up and strapping yourself in, going into a warehouse and dispatching parcels and checking them for flaws. And you know what? Like, there's, there's a weird emergence in gaming um, over the past handful of years, and I think it was mostly noted um, back in the day with Papers, Please, of this tedium almost as a method of enjoyment, right? Like this, right. you know what? This is something I would not enjoy doing in real life, but in a video game, your power washes, your lawnmower simulators, your, your papers, please. Like, here's a job that I can get, I can get down pat, and I can get good at it and use it almost as like this, this little palate-cleansing therapeutic break from everything. Right. So right. I wasn't too surprised when people played it, and they were like, you know what? I actually kind of really enjoyed, like, just going around and finding errors and, and, you know, checking the packages and making sure they were right and dispatching them and then ra doing the races. Like, you know what? Like, that's, that's fun work. is a nice break from the, the kind of weight of everything else. So. It's kind of therapeutic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So, besides all this, like, what else has Wired Productions have in store? So, obviously, Last Worker is kind of like the major, major focus at the moment. Um, you know, that's coming out 
God. I mean, it's going to be two days after I get from PAX. It's going to be on next Thursday. That's, oh, wow. That's a terrifying prospect. Um, but, uh, you know, last work once that's out on uh, the 30th. Uh, next port of call will be Tin Hearts, uh, which is obviously rocking out on April 20th. Um, and, you know, we, we've got obviously a handful of games that we announced uh, over the past year, both at the, the Wide Direct um, in 2021 and uh, towards the tail end of 22 in Gory and uh, Hotel Architect and, and Bulwark. Uh, so, right now, we're just kind of just tying everything up with a neat bow. You know, we've got a, a lot of really cool games on the back end that we can't wait to actually announce and share with people. Uh, I would maybe drop one or two now, but NDAs are a thing and my boss is a very scary man. Understandable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to end up being the, the last worker in a warehouse by the end of the year. Um, but um, we're, we're basically just get last work sorted, get it out there, get it into people's hands, let them kind of see what Jurg and the team have created. Uh, get Tin Hearts out there, get everyone kind of falling in love with the fact that, you know, the, the, a team that was kind of made out of people that worked on the, the OG Fable games brought that kind of weird Victorian magical charm that they, they brought to that and decided to make a puzzle game out of it. Like, that's a cool as heck thing, and it's dope yeah. that we get to we get to help with that so uh, yeah just get those two out into the world let people fall in love with them and then kind of get gory and bulwark and hotel architect ready for the, the, the same treatment before we surprise everyone else with what we have next very awesome Gary thank you so much for joining me here on BE3 Crew uh, where can our listeners find out more information on Wired Productions uh, so wiredproductions.com is our website uh, we have a dedicated page for every single one of these games uh, as well as trailers, press kits, uh, media things for people to download, uh, links to all of the platforms that the games appear on. Or you can find us on Steam, any one of our games on there, you can find our publisher page, or very simply, literally any social network in existence. If you go to that, whatever the network is, slash Wired P, that will be our home on that place. And you'll be able to find everything that we're doing, see us at these events, see when we're announcing early access, let's see, early access, early demos yeah. of our games to be able to play, and more importantly, just, you know, see all the fun that we get up to at places like PAX. Awesome. Gary, thank you once again, and best of luck with Wire Productions. I look forward to seeing what you guys have unleashing us in the future. Perfect. Thank you for your time. Had a good chat with my buddy Eric from Nerds Clothing. How are you doing, buddy? I'm exhausted. I'm happy. I'm, uh, I'm a lot of things, but I'm good. <laughs> that introduction took up all the energy I had for me. <laughs> but yeah, man, what what a phenomenal year Nerds has had. I mean, you just started work with Viz Media. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and I think uh, I mentioned in our last interview last year, I was like. We're in talks with, with some anime IP, and I kind of shed a little light on that. But yeah, man, we secured it, uh, JoJo and Bleach, and the amount of support at PAX took, of us, took us off guard, but 
it's it's been amazing, and you know we're thankful for everybody that swung by. And on top of that, I know you haven't been showing it off here, but you're also working with the Astro Boy license. Yes, so we just obtained Astro Boy. Uh, you know, again, just trying to dive more into the anime uh, community because again, we are you know. Uh, big fans of it, grew up watching it, and there's some amazing titles out there that we know we could do some damage with. So, yeah, just trying to make some cool stuff for the uh, community. I, I gotta say, I'm waiting for you. Hopefully, it gets past that Bullet Club Astro Boy crossover. Uh, Too sweet! <laughs> yeah, man, so that's something that we've been uh, talking to Tezuka and, uh, you know, New Japan about. You know, everything is approved. It's just really the logistics of it that's holding it back, but hopefully we'll be able to push through and, and, and bring it on board. So, yeah, man. What would you say would be, like, the dream collaboration, the dream crossover? The dream crossover? Oh, man. Between pro wrestling, anime, and manga. Oh, shit. Man, I would love to do something Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy with with wrestling and, and manga. I mean, it's, yeah. Final Fantasy would be up there for me. I mean, we do have the one-winged angel yes, from Kenny yes, Omega. That is true. Yes, Kenny Omega. Uh, actually, you know, be on a lookout with... Uh, might be a little reboot coming your guys' way with um, the Street Fighter and AEW stuff. So. Oh, very yeah. nice, very nice. I do love those. And I do hope that we can actually see some more, like, collaborations with AEW and, like, Viz Media and all that stuff. For sure, for sure, yeah. We, we always try to... Uh, bring something fresh into you know for the wrestling community because uh, again you know it's mostly mixed up of obvious, obviously wrestling enthusiasts but you know video gamers as well so the two just going hand in hand and yeah it's dope man i think we've learned like in the past just couple of years or so like the worlds of pro wrestling gaming anime manga they all really intertwine yeah yeah, yeah. we're all we're all cut from the same cloth when it comes like you know to those things and uh the amount of support for, you know, the Street Fighter stuff was, was incredible. And because of, of everybody who supported, you know, they're looking to bring it back. So I, I can't thank anybody uh, more than you guys. <laughs> you are very welcome. Um, I don't know if you can talk much about it, but there is a game that's being showcased here that you may be working with. I believe it's WrestleQuest? Yeah, yeah, man. So I'm working with, uh, you know, the people at Skybound and uh, Mega Cat Studios, I believe. Uh, great people. Awesome. Great game, you know, they have a bunch of licensed uh, talent that goes into that game, and it looks very, you know, something unique and fresh for uh, the gaming side of wrestling games, and I'm excited to hopefully be able to participate in some uh, co-branded merch with them and, and, and go from there. See what else they got in the in, in the bank for IP. So, yeah, man. Very cool, very yep. cool. So here at PAX East, what do, you, what do you say is, like, the hot item at Nerds Clothing? Oh, man. That's hard to tell, dude. You know, we just have so many random fans of, of, of a lot of our IPs that we carry. But I would probably say this year, probably the JoJo fans showed up. And that took me by surprise because there were more JoJo fans than video game fans here. And, yeah, man, I'm, I'm very happy for, uh, you know, the support that we got from, from them. I'm very glad, too, man. I know I know you probably can't talk much about what's going to be happening next in, in Nerds Clothing, but maybe right. you can give our listeners a hint of what might be in the future? For sure, man. So uh, I would probably keep a very close eye on uh, Street Fighter VI. We're doing a lot of things with Capcom, uh, working directly with them uh, for a very crazy project that I pitched back last year. And, uh, you know, thank God we're pushing through it and we're trying to make it work, and I believe we, we found a way. So I would definitely keep your eyes and ears 
uh, appealed for uh, something in Street Fighter Six. I'm thinking Jerry Maki Ito crossover. <laughs> that would be dope. That would be dope. I'm not saying yes or no, but that is a possibility. That would be cool. But um, yeah, I think I think with this project, it's it's a lot more. It's something that I've never done uh, to to this level. Uh, working with Capcom and, and putting it together. But, you know, my team, luckily I have a great team that helps me um, get through this. You know, shout out to uh, Angel, Buddha, and uh, Jose. Um, we've we've been really grinding and, and trying to get things off, off uh, the ground. But, yeah, should be fun, man. Should be fun. Awesome. Eric, thank yeah. you, as always, being here on B3Crew.com. As I said beforehand, I'm so proud of just how much Nerds has grown in the last few years. Starting from a teeny tiny booth that was... Not really noticeable yeah. <laughs> to just being almost always filled with enthusiastic fans. Yeah, man. Yeah, something, you know, everybody out there, uh, you know, listening and whoever just had, like, a passion for something or a dream, like, it could be done, you know. Uh, I'm living proof. If there's not people that look like me make it, then, you know, we can't really influence the next. So that's where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm accessible, you know. I'm here. I could give advice. I could tell them my story. I could do everything. Um, at the end of the day, it's just really about sacrificing, and if you really want it, dude, like you, you can make it happen. Hopefully, one day you will be turned into a biopic that will be shown on Apple TV or something. <laughs> yeah, dude, that would be amazing. I would love that. Now, the casting would be that that, that would worry me the most. Who's going to be casted as me? <laughs> so. uh, Eric, thank you once again. Um, I know you're going to go back and do your thing, but thank you as always. Oh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Absolutely, dude, and I appreciate you. So, I'm back here at the Dread XP booth, and I just demoed the game Sucker for Love, Date to Die for, and I'm here with Joseph, who is one of the main masterminds behind this. Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Glad to be here. So this is the second game uh, in the Sucker for Love series. How does this connect to the previous one? So this is a prequel sequel. This, uh, it, you know, it, it takes a lot of steps in terms of design uh, up from the previous game, so the, the graphics are better, the gameplay is more involved, uh, just leaps and bounds in, in terms of improvement, although the events of the story take place before the events of the first game. Okay, so um, before we started this interview, we were talking about the many different kinds of genres that this is. So, this is basically a Yeri horror dating sim, sometimes first-person shooter, <laughs> puzzle. What, are there any other genres that are in this game? Uh, Lovecraftian horror, of course. Uh, let's see, real-time strategy, a space explorer. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at, at its core, it's mainly a dating sim, a, a psych horror, and a, uh, let's see, yeah, mainly just a dating sim and a psych horror, kind of a homage to Lovecraftian horror, dating sims in, like, 90s anime. Very cool. What I like about the tone of this game, so like I've I've demoed 
Amanda the Adventurer and My Family Neighborhood. So those two games were like those kind that were like, oh, I was, I, I was thinking I was going to laugh more, but really it's more terrifying. This was the other way around for me. Like, <laughs> it started out as, oh, this is terrifying. But then when you meet the main, uh, the main uh, goddess, what was her name again? Uh, Roxanne. So, so for Roxanne, it starts getting really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's kind of how I like to structure most of my games, where I start off like dead serious, just so you know that in terms of world building and characters, I'm, we, we, the dev team, are taking it seriously. You know, with such a silly premise of you know trying to romance roman- uh, Eldritch Gods, it's easy to think that we'd be like, say, like phoning it in with the the world building, the tone, the themes. But we start serious, just so you know. That when we're you know conveying exposition to you, this is like actually re- like important. It's going to be important later. We're building a story here, and then as soon as it's established that we're taking things seriously, then we start cracking jokes safely. Because I feel like if you crack jokes like kind of too early, it kind of makes people not take the work seriously as a whole. And so we just we, we start serious, start scary, and then once you kind of get the tone, we surprise you with a little bit of comedy. <laughs> Precisely, and I like it when people do that because I, I feel like. That's how you really surprise your audience. You, you, you set them up for one thing, and then all of a sudden, you just pull the wool over their eyes and like reveal, oh, this is what it's really going to be like. And I love what you've, you've showcased so far with this demo for Sucker for Love, Date to Die For. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a lot of, uh, lot of uh, sort of tightly controlling tone, uh, just because uh, horror and comedy, I think, click together really well, but they got to be sort of done click together in a deliberate way, otherwise you run the risk of making the scary parts not scary and the funny parts not funny because either you're too scared to laugh or you're too, uh, you know, having too, you're laughing too hard to take something scary that's supposed to be scary seriously. And so it's kind of got these discrete moments of serious, funny, serious, funny, where we let the scary things be scary and the funny things be funny. Kind of like, so like one of my other favorites, uh, both a visual novel and an anime, Higurashi. Oh, like, Higurashi that is, does both. That is actually the chief inspiration for this, an- or for this uh, particular uh, 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 build of Sucker for Love. So, um, you know, first date was very like Golden Boy and Urasa Yatsura. Mm. But since this is set like out, this is even set in the country, like in the countryside, deep in the wilderness, like way in the rural towns, that is, uh, you know, pulling from Higurashi. Um, and so that's where I put a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, aesthetics and world building, since it kind of lent itself very well to the black goat of the woods of setting this in a really rural town with uh, you know a bunch of slashers running around like in Higurashi. So <laughs> really cool, very cool. So I take it Roxanne's not the only god that you get to try to romance in this game, correct? So she's. L- She's the only uh, god that you get to romance, but she's not the only eldritch en- entity present. There's about four others that appear. Uh, this just contrasts with the first game, where each chapter was dedicated to romancing a different goddess. Uh, this time, well, that was kind of a product because of um, the first game was just Lynetta. Like, when I had a Dreadx collection build of this game, when it was a 30-minute game standalone, mm-hmm. I just had the one character, and so when we expanded upon it, I had to sort of repeat that and have just little mini-stories to make it keep consistent. Right. But now that we know, going into it, that we're making one long story... Uh, I designed for the beginning that is one main relationship that's more of a slow burn that's spread out and matures over the span of four chapters. Very nice, very cool. Yeah. So, like, how how have, like, the other players... We, we, you've been showcasing this at PAX East. How have the players here been reacting to what you've showcased so far with Sucker for Love, Date to Die For? Uh, highly receptive. I'm hearing only good things. I haven't so much as gotten a neutral review on 
on how people are reacting to the changes that we uh, put in since first date, which is really, really good. Uh, we took a lot of um, uh, risks and a lot of design choices that are kind of brand new this time around. You got a chance to play, so you saw Traversing the House, mm -hmm. which is brand new. The first game was just like one, like the first Dreadx collection was just one room, and then Soccer for Love first date was just three rooms, and then this one has got maybe like 20-something rooms or more. Um, each with, you know, their own interactables, their own uh, 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 doors in and out. Uh, you got to see the door mechanic, which is something that you, uh, in order to traverse these rooms, you pull open doors and then walk through. Uh, you just hit the point at the end of the demo where you hear a noise. From this point on, there's things on the other side of the door that you need to back away from or slam the door on in order to survive. It's kind of like in World of Horror. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a bit like that in World of Horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, like yeah. You, you go, you open a door. There's like some freaking like, nope. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just just like that. Um, there's there's lots of interactions. That's that's where a lot of the scares of this game are going to live, and so it's kind of really nice uh, that way. I think for like players and streamers, especially if you're playing as a group, that if something is scary, you can stop and talk to your friends, and then uh, as you're do you, since you kind of engage with the scares on your own time by when you choose to open up doors and move through them and such, and yeah. so. Uh, it's 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 definitely a very nice, like fun romp through horror, because it does one thing that I kind of really like about you. You mentioned World of Horror. They pull from like Junji Ito, which is one of right. my favorite uh, horror designers, because he does what I call stop and look at it horror. Mm -hmm. Where co co to compare and contrast with say like Slenderman and Five Nights at Freddy's, where if you're looking at the scary thing you've lost, the game is over, and you're only going to see it for a glimpse before the game ends. Right. As opposed to Jinji Ito, like a comic book, or World of Horror, which adapted it, where when you see the scary thing, it's on screen and it stays there until right. you manage to deal with it. And so that's kind of the attitude I went in with this, where I'm not trying to jump scare you, or I'm not trying to, you know, no, quickly cut away from the big scary thing. I'm going to put the scary thing in the room that you're going to peek into, and you're going to, you know, get to drink that in when you decide to back away from it, slam the door, or as you're finding things starting to begin to stalk you around the hallways. Right. It's not a, uh, like you said, it's not a jump scare. It's an uncomfortable kind yeah, yeah, of horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it really cranks the tension up. And I, I personally just like to drink in... Uh, 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 no pun intended, the dread of the situation <laughs> when you see, like, a monster. Uh, it, it, it also lends itself really well to um, Lovecraftian horror, which Junji Ito is also inspired by, where it's all about things behind comprehension, where I can't really flash something without giving you time to sit and slit its stew. Mm -hmm. So I like showing things that sort of the longer you comprehend it, the longer you think about it, the longer it stews in your bread, the more scary and more uncomfortable it gets. And so that's, yeah. that's what I'm really sort of shooting for in terms of tension and tone with the horror this time around. So do you have a set release date yet for Date to Die 4? Likely this year, but there'll probably be intermittent releases of, say, like the, the first chapter or at least the PAX build coming uh, sooner than that. Awesome. So for, I guess for my final question, even for those who have not played the first Sucker for Love, why should they experience what Date to Die 4 has to offer? So I believe that if you're a fan of any combination of Lovecraftian horror, uh, 90s anime, or dating sims, then this game offers you a fun romp through all three because it's a love letter from me to all three of those genres. Joseph, thank you so much for joining me here on B3 Crew. Uh, for more information, uh, where can people find all things Sucker for Love? Well, you can follow my Twitter, which is at ChromatosDev. Uh, if you just tweet, uh, look, search on Twitter for Akabaka, I'll come up. You can also follow my publisher, DreadXP, also on Twitter. Uh, we Both of us also have uh, discords where you can follow more intimately what each of the devs are doing. Joseph, thank you once again. This was a wonderful surprise. Sucker for love, date to die for. Please keep your eyes peeled, listeners, because 
I think you're going to be very surprised by what this dating sim has to offer. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming and checking us out. I'm joined here with Noah, the creator of the game Should We Come Home, which is being showcased at the Moon Eye booth. Welcome to B3 Crew. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. So you have been developing this game, I, I couldn't help but over here, but for the past year and a half. So how much has Shumi Come Home evolved since you first came up with the idea for it? Uh, honestly, so much. You know, sometimes I go back and play old versions of my game that I have lying around, and I'm like, oh my god, it, it's just come so far. I've never really made a 3D Unity game before. Um, so from the start, it went from this little mushroom character barely being able to climb and glide around and now it's a fully immersed world that you can explore so i'd say it's evolved quite a lot it's about 90 percent of the way done really fantastic to hear so where did the idea for shumi come home first come to fruition um i was working on a much bigger ambitious project at the time and uh i started playing smaller games like frog detective a short hike uh wide ocean big jacket and they really inspired me i fell in love with short games and I decided I really want to make one of my own and kind of incorporate elements from games that I love, like the Pikmin series, Zelda, and just kind of combine it into a cozy exploration, short experience. What I like, too, about it is there's a very laid-back feel to Shumi Come Home. Like, I know that there are a lot of 3D platformers that are very, like, exciting, but it's nice to sometimes play a video game where you feel like you can actually relax while experiencing it. No, that, that's exactly it. You know, I, I love 3D platformers, like Super Mario Sunshine, one of my all-time favorites, uh, A Hat in Time. And it's, they have their place, you know, awesome 3D platformers. But I definitely wanted to make something more casual and chill and something that everyone can kind of beat because beating a game is not always the easiest thing. And I just wanted to be able to give that and make that accessible for everyone. But, you know, still have a little bit of challenge here and there. Yes. Now, I know the title is called Shumi Come Home. I reckon that this is a journey about him trying to reach that goal, about that destination. So why did he leave his home in the first place? So, um, I won't fully spoil it. Uh, in the demo, you don't see this, but there is an intro level to the game uh, where you're with your family. Shumi has some siblings, and Shumi's basically taken from its home. So something kind of snatches Shumi. That's as much as I'll say, though. Okay, all right. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. So you're saying you're 90% done with the game. Um, I overheard you probably planning, on hopefully, fingers crossed, the summertime. Yep. So with it being close to completion, like, how are you feeling about it almost reaching that finish line? It's honestly really crazy. I, I've never made a... I've never fully published a game before, and I mean... It, it feels very surreal and also incredibly stressful because uh, there's quite a lot of people that are excited about the game now, and so that's that's some pressure. But I'm also incredibly excited, honestly. Cannot wait for people to play the full experience. Yeah, and from what I've experienced with this first level or first half of the level, it, I can understand why people are excited because, like, there is, like I said, there's this really good charm to the game that you don't really see much often, not just in video games in general, but like in indie games too like I, I, lo I love this style I, lo I love the I love the feel of the characters I love the look of the characters 
I even like how the soundtrack is. It kind of reminds me of like those little toy yeah. keyboard yeah. that you would find in like some CVS Pharmacy toy totally, yeah. toy shop or toy section. So you're doing really good with this, and I'm really happy with the way that Shibi comes home or Shibi come home is coming to be. Thank you, thank you so much. I mean, that's exactly what I'm going for, and. It, it really does mean a lot to hear that from you and just see other players like enjoy the game and enjoy the dialogue and the controls you know it's it's stuff I've really poured my heart into and it just it, it's really nice to see people enjoy that and I do want to point that out with the dialogue it is a very funny game because because <laughs> I, I, there is a genre of Japanese anime that I love it's called Iyashike okay. which is very so soul soothing so yeah. shows like Flying Witch Laid Back Camp uh, Girls Ask Tour yeah. you know these are these are shows that you watch for a comfortable relaxation sort of thing but there's a good laugh that comes with them too. Exactly. And I feel like that's what Should We Come Home is going to deliver in the whole title. Yeah, no, I, I really hope so. I, I pull a lot of inspiration on the writing from Adventure Time, the cartoon show. Mm. I'm a huge Adventure Time fan, and I love that the dialogue can be hilarious and goofy, but also very relatable and yeah. just sometimes kind of heartfelt. Not that I'm trying to go for a super deep story with Shumi, but I just love making relatable, goofy characters and... Yeah, no, I, I love to see that you appreciate it and a lot of people like it. Now, if my words can't convince my listeners, I want you to try to convince the listeners on your own. Why should people play Shumi Come Home? Oh, man, okay. Well, I think you should play Shumi Come Home because sometimes you kind of just need to go on a little relaxing adventure, get a little lost, come across some goofy, funny people that have some charm to them. And honestly, it's a short game. You don't need to sink that much time into it. Just hop in, get Shumi back home, and hopefully you enjoy the experience. Noah, thank you so much for joining me here on B3 Crew. For more information on Shumi Come Home, where can our listeners find that info? Um, we can check it out at MoonEyeStudios.com, and I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, Some Humble Onion is my username. <laughs> Noah, thank you once again. Shumi Come Home. This looks fantastic. It looks like the type of game that you play on a rainy day to relax. And I'm all for one. Cannot wait to experience the whole thing when it comes out. Thank you so much for having me, man. Welcome. Let me tell you all the little story of the things I've found. Hanging out and drinking with my friends in the cathedral grounds. I'd like to dodging drunks as we dance along Jury Street. As we wander uptown to the railway, our friends to meet There's something about coming back to your hometown again The place where you grew up and where you found your farmer's friends And though none of them still live here I'm here with Sarah, the design director of the upcoming League of Legends story spin-off video game, The Mage Seeker, which is coming on um, April 18th. Yes, welcome to B3 Crew, how are you doing today? Thank you. Uh, pretty good. I mean, this is the first interview of the day, so now I have energy. Let's see how am I in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so you're very close to completion of of the Mage Seeker, less than a month away from its release. How are you feeling now that we're coming to the finish line? 
uh, excited and scared at the same time because we have been working on this for four years and we put so much effort, so much love. We really want people to appreciate that and have fun with the game. So right now it's like, okay, this is our baby. Uh, please be gentle with, with him. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's really exciting to all finish the project because it's been a long journey. And, yeah, it's been tough and fun at the same time, time but, yeah, our prayers need to come to an end at some point. Right. Now, this project has been going on for years. You said four years, right? Four years. So how would you say the Mage Seeker has changed since the first concept to what it is now? Well, that's a really good question. I need to think. I mean, I think, uh, well, at least for the combat part, which is the core of the game, we didn't have many iterations. We, I mean, since we were basing the game on Silas, we know how he acts. So we needed to adapt what we, he does in League to an action RPG, which is cool because we don't have limitations because he doesn't need to be in balance with other champions. And mm. we can just focus on the fun part. So, of course, we, I mean, for example, we polish a lot the, the feel of the game and the use. There's have been a lot of work there. Uh, for, for the abilities, we try many different abilities and then pick the ones we like the most. But I think the key of the combat has been always there. And then we have the other part, the Hydra Wells, the last progresses. And we had some iterations there, uh, especially with the... Olaf's system, which are allies that join Salas and give him buffs, just trying to figure out how he could help Silas in the game and not being annoying or boring was was interesting and I think there were several iterations, probably the the system we iterated the most. So tell us the story of the Mace Seeker. We have the character of Silas who has been in prison for fifteen years, finally gets out and start tries to start I so it feels like there can be two paths, either revenge or revolution, correct? It's going to be both at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you don't pick, uh, you don't have choices in the game, it's uh, quite linear. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I mean, he's really, really angry when he goes up from prison. <laughs> Normal, he's been 15 years in the prison eating rats. Mm -hmm. uh, she, his only friend has been Lux for the last months. <laughs> so, I mean, first he needs to uh, learn how to talk again to people. Uh, he's going to join this revolutionary army led by Leilani. And he's going to learn a lot about her because he, uh, she's kind of opposite to Silas because Silas is super angry, uh, thinking all about his bloody revenge. And Leilani is like, yeah, okay, the Mystics are bad and we need to defeat them, but we need to do that as an, as an army. <laughs> we all together, we can go there and just destroy everything uh, no matter what. Okay, so as we've seen, we've seen some allies within the Mage Seekers. We've seen some people that actually do want to help with Silas, and quite possibly, are, we see the teacher at the beginning. And is there a chance where he might actually join a revolution, or do you see him more as someone who's going to sit by the sidelines and hope for the best in the long run? Uh, you mean Silas? No, 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 the teacher. The teacher. Ah, oh, you'll have to play the game. Do <laughs> that. <laughs> Fair enough. But in the end, uh, Kilan uh, was Silas teacher when he was a young main seeker. Mm -hmm. uh, but he let him be in prison for 15 years and did nothing. So Silas is quite mad at him. And of course, Kilan has a lot of regrets on that. But mm -hmm. in the end, he's still a main seeker. Okay. 
So as the game progresses, as as I saw, we just uh, released some. Who who was it that I just released out of prison? It's Kara. Kara, Kara. So like these new characters that come in and help out with Celis in his revenge and the revolution. Like how how does that at help or how does that uh, evolve the gameplay as the story goes on? So Salas is going to find several allies for his cause, and these allies are specialized in several craftings. For example, Leilani, the leader we found at the beginning, mm -hmm. she is a spell crafter. She's able to, those spells that Silas copies to the enemies, she can build those into petricide stones so Silas can equip them. So you can combine the spells you copy during the combat and the spells you equip because you like those or because you choose those because at the beginning of each mission you'll see uh, which type of enemies you're going to find so you can say, okay, they're going to be fire enemies, I will equip my ice spells. Okay, very, very cool. So, as I said, we're very close to the release of the Mage Seeker. I'm very excited. I, you know, this is what I love about these spin off games of League of Legends is that you don't have to play the main League of Legends game to enjoy not just the characters, but the story it's telling. Um, but for those who are like unfamiliar with League of Legends and its world, um, will there be elements in the Mage Seeker that would maybe teach them a little bit about the main game itself? Okay, I mean, about the main game, I think you have to play that to to understand how it works, because it's super complex, but of course uh, we, are, we have League characters here, and we introduce all of them. Uh, beginning with Silas, mm -hmm. uh, we were uh, very aware that we didn't want people to feel that they are not welcome to play the game because they don't know anything about League. That was never the the target. So, I mean, we in the team are League fans. For I mean, I've been playing since season three, for example. <laughs> but we have people uh, in the team that have learned about League of Legends because uh, working on the main seekers. So we had a focus on those to make sure that they understand the story and the characters without knowing anything about League. And I feel like that's really good to do because, you know, League of Legends itself it's, can be a very complicated <laughs> online game. It's one of those, like, uh, I've tried it once or twice and I've died instantly, like, yeah. so, like, but I I'm glad that there are games like this that will help to expand on the lore of League of Legends because, like, these are some very interesting characters. I mean, for those who have played the, played the other spinoff game, for those who have watched Arcane, like, the... There's a lot that, that goes on with these sorts of people that you play as. Yes, and the nature of League of Legends doesn't allow to expand a lot on lore. Of course, they have uh, amazing short stories. I have read them all. They are awesome. And the characters are so complex. I mean, when they release a character, and sometimes they have these cutscenes, and then you go and read their the backstories, mm -hmm. they put so much love developing those characters. And, I mean, something I really like, they are not playing characters. They have black and white, and there are no good or evil. And that's super interesting to work with. When we got the characters, and we were like, okay, this is not about... Uh, Silas is the good guy and the rest is a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Silas is not a good guy. He's an anti-hero. I mean, he's right. going to do really bad things. Mm -hmm. That's fun because we can make, it, make him do things that a normal hero wouldn't do because mm -hmm. he's not a hero and he doesn't want to be the hero. And same goes, for example, with uh, Jarvan or Garen. They put themselves as the good guys, but they are not good guys either. Of course, they do good things and bad things. Mm -hmm. and. 
that's super interesting because it allows us to create a complex story. Right. It's kind of like it's a world of chaotic neutral. Of yes. Yes, I love that term. <laughs> I'm quite chaotic neutral. I have to say. <laughs> Now I do have to ask: with this game nearing its completion. Um, As I mentioned, there are a lot of characters within the world of League of Legends. Is there a character that you would like to um, tackle next? That's going to be hard. I mean, I don't know what plans has Riot Force. I don't know what plans we have as Digital Sun. <laughs> so, I mean, like, the only Hiva thing I have in mind is finishing the game and then uh, going on holiday <laughs> because I really need that. I need uh, to take some rest about making video games and then go back and see what happens. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah. What what will come? <laughs> okay, so I guess my final question for you is: uh, even for those who have never experienced League of Legends themselves, like why should they give the Mage Seeker a try? Of course, yes. Starting that there are no game that is for everyone. We are aware of that. This is not going to be like everybody. 100% of the people loves this, and that's fine. It's not the intention. But if you are into action RPGs, I think this is a quite interesting one because we mix the fast melee combat with the copy abilities of Silas, which is quite unique. I mean, it's quite unique for Silas and Kirby. We are aware of that too. <laughs> And and I think um, they are going to find a fun game. And video games, as we talked before, are supposed to be fun. Right. And the story is interesting. I mean, we put so much love in there. The characters are amazing. And who knows, maybe you don't like League of Legends, but after this game, you get curious about it and you want to give it a try or... Probably not League of Legends, but Legends of Runeterra or Real King, which was the previous game Forge published. So, I mean, I think there's a lot to appreciate here. Absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me here on B3Crew.com. Mage Seeker League of Legends story coming out in less than one month. So, um, once it's released, please take that vacation because I know there's a lot that goes into making video games, so... Really, enjoy, enjoy that break before diving yeah. back into this world again. Yes, thank you. My enemy